Welcome to the Ignatius Press Podcast. I'm Mark Brumley. I hope you enjoy the discussion in this episode. For more information about Ignatius Press, check out our website at ignatius.com. Hello, everybody. I'm Carl Olson. I'm the editor of Catholic World Report. And welcome to this episode of Ignatius Press Podcast. We're also going to post this on Catholic World Report. And I'm really pleased today to be joined by Douglas Beaumont, who is the author of a couple different books, but his newest book is actually, I think, his oldest book, which I will explain in a moment. It's called The Message Behind the Movie Reboot. Uh, engaging film without disengaging faith. Really a great book. I was happy to have blurbed it. And I said in my blurb, basically, I, it was this kind of book I wish that I would have had 30 years ago or so when I was younger and, and trying to make sense of a lot of films and movies I was watching. So Douglas, welcome. Thanks for being with us. Yeah, thank you for having me on and thank you for writing the forward. I was really excited to find out they so. got you to do that. Yeah. I, you know, I'm not really a movie guy, so to speak. I've, you know, I've watched movies like a lot of people and i've written a few movie reviews um but you obviously have something of a passion for you obviously to have written this book so i want to go back you you wrote this book originally the first edition when you were not yet catholic when you were an evangelical can you talk a little bit about how the book came about what the interest was in film what the what the goal was in writing that yeah, well, I think I'm a lot like you and a lot like many people that, you know, I, I enjoy movies quite a bit. I don't really consider myself an aficionado or anything. Um, I don't, I'm not one of these people that memorizes all the trivia about who was the director and who was this and that. Um, so the movie book is really about watching movies. It's not about movies, if that distinction makes sense. Um, where it came about was I, I had a homiletics class in seminary where they teach you how to preach. That's just the fancy word for preaching. And uh, to be honest, I wasn't doing very well. And so my seminary professor suggested that I look into how screenwriters write film. Because if anybody knows how to tell a good story, it's, it's the guys in Hollywood. So I really just became obsessed that year. I was reading, you know, Sid Field and Robert McKee and Chris Vogler and these, these kinds of guys that you would read, you know, maybe like in a film 101 class. And it just it helped me a lot understand better what filmmakers were doing when they put certain elements in film. And um, around about this time, I had an invitation to speak at a national conference, and there were some pretty big people there, and I was nobody. So I thought I'm going to have to come up with a real zinger of a title. I'm going to have to have a I'm going to have to have a talk that's really going to grab people because no one's going to come just for my name. So. I had already been studying apologetics for a number of years and I was starting to see connections that, you know, a lot of the guys that were in the apologetics classes, defending the faith, um, we were all into film and we love talking about it. So I thought, well, that might be a good hour talk is the message behind the movie. And uh, it just sort of blew up from there. Um, I mean, it was standing room only. I had people standing in the hall to hear this talk and it just was extremely popular. And I was looking for something to do a book on. So I thought, well, maybe I can, write the success of this into a book. And so I think it was about 2007, 2008 that that happened. And then uh, Moody Bible Institute, Moody Publishers ended up picking up the book and it was published in, I think, 2009. And so that's, that was my first book. That's how that got written. And then you, you entered the church in 2000 and what year was that? 14. Okay. So about five and, years. Uh, 
You, you, I smiled when you said Moody Bible Institute because that brought back a lot of memories for me as a, a former <laughs> fundamentalist evangelical. You know, I did the Moody Bible uh, courses and all that growing up and, and yeah. so forth. Um, so for, I want to say, first of all, I think one of the there's many great strengths to this book, but one of those is kind of an apologetics aspect, but done in a way that's, um, I guess, not typical of a lot of apologetics. I, I think it's because of the way you address worldviews and how to think about story. And I think that's something that that a lot of, of us who have some experience in apologetics could spend more time with. I know there's been some good stuff written about this. Holly Ordway wrote a great book, I think, that touched on some of this. Um, can you talk a little bit about that, that the, why you focus, you know, you've already touched on a little bit, story, you did in the context of preaching and homiletics. Um, is this something that just your, your ordinary moviegoer, you think just, Obviously, they don't probably don't think about it as much, but what is it that they can think about better when it comes to story? And then as Catholics, how does that help us in evaluating and thinking more deeply about film? You know, as a as a previous evangelical or fundamentalist, you probably remember the way movies were generally handled, you know, with among yeah. that group, right? It's yeah. uh, most of the reviews were really more of, uh, you know, a cuffs counter. And, you know, how, how many things are you going to see? What are you going to hear? very much focused in on the style of the film, style yeah. elements. And that's good. I mean, I think we need to know those things, especially if we have kids, we don't want to get blindsided by something when we walk into the theater. Um, but they tended to, to run rather shallow uh, often. Mm -hmm. And if there was some message or if there was some element that really stood out, the reviewer would tend to kind of harp on that. And so what I wanted to do was say, you know, just in the same way that we would expect a fair shake, if somebody is going to accuse the Bible of being wrong or something, well, we would want people to be good enough interpreters of the Bible to, to have the right to criticize. And so in kind of the same way, I wanted to give Christians the tools to be able to criticize a film or a story, um, but according to the rules of movies and, and stories, not just according to whatever happened to um, fall across their notice or trigger them in some way. <laughs> so the first half of the book is really more about these are, this is the way movies communicate through story, through style elements, background worldview suppositions. You know, there, there's all these things to look for and uh, they combine to tell a message, you know, whether, whether the filmmaker really necessarily meant to or not. Um, there is a vision of the world being put forth. And if we can objectively identify that, then if the movie is saying something that is anti-Christian, either because maybe it's attacking the notion of truth or it's saying that, that faith is just a blind leap or there's no God, if, if any of those elements are present, well, then step two uh, for us personally is to be able to respond to those messages. And that's where the apologetic section of the book comes in. Um, but also, if you're more of an evangelist, it can be really helpful because movies are such a great conversation starter. It's a great inroad with people. And if you are discussing a popular movie that has an evangelistically important theme or message, then you are able to deal with it at that level as well. So I was really kind of hitting evangelism and apologetics, but using film as the springboard to get into them, but also in a way that was treating the movies fairly. In kind of a catechetical sense, I think, I think there's kind of a, um, a catechetical quality to the book. And I, I bring that up because I, you know, in my experience, these three things, catechesis, apologetics, and evangelization are kind of like the three legs to a stool. 
And oftentimes people will dismiss apologetics, you know, for some reason or aren't interested or in evangelization or give short shrift to catechesis. Um, but I think in your book, these three things come through, but in ways that maybe you don't, people don't expect because it's in the context of film. I think that's a real, a real strength of the book. And you have these little dialogues, conversations, um, many of them kind of at the beginning or dear, you know, at the, at the beginning of chapters, um, are these are most of those kind of drawn from your own experience, or just you kind of created those? Or yeah, I uh, I actually had friends and um, ex girlfriends and certain people in mind, you know, that I kind of used as my muse for these different characters. But um, not all of the conversations ever ne- uh, actually happened necessarily, but they were the kinds of things that would have come about, and I could kind of tell the way they would have gone. Uh, had I had the knowledge that I have now back then, only also able to discuss film. Um, so yeah, that was that was a real fun part. And the, the, the people who I got the characters from know who they are. But <laughs> um, you didn't have to pay yeah. anybody off or anything. No, no, yeah, I, I kept it just just fictionalized enough that I can avoid uh, having to, to pay any royalties. Um, but yeah, I thought that was kind of a fun way to throw in yeah. something extra, just almost like an illustration. Like this, this is the way a conversation might go. And plus, I thought it was just kind of fun, and the publishers ended up liking it, so I was I was glad they kept that in there. Yeah, let's go back to you know we started out talking about the, the you first. This is an evangelical. What then uh, was the process by which it 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 uh, was something that Ignatius Press became interested in because there's there's the uh, the reboot in the title of this. Um, obviously, a, a fun reference to a lot of different film reboots. So, how did that happen? And what um, you know, what do you think attracted Ignatius Press to the book as, as something that would fit within? what uh, they do with their, their work. Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, You know, when, when I, and many other people from my seminary started becoming Catholic and and coming into full communion with the Catholic church, we actually, you know, we were getting some static about it and um, (laughs) we decided it would be a good idea if, if we could maybe put all of our stories together somewhere that we could reference in case anybody heard different. And as I started collecting these stories and, you know, kind of editing through them, I realized like this is actually turning into a a pretty solid book here. You know, like everybody loves convert books and, you know, here we've got one with nine guys writing and um, some really solid Catholic apologetics built in. And so I just decided to swing for the bleachers and I sent it off to Ignatius um, when it was practically done. And I was super excited that, you know, Mark Brumley, the president, contacted me and said they wanted to do the book. And that's where Evangelical Exodus came from. Um, now, it also came in the contract with a right of first refusal for Ignatius. So I had to come up with three more ideas <laughs> to pitch to them uh, before I could get out of my con- contract was fulfilled. Um, but, you know, I worked really hard on coming up with like three like really cool ideas for for books. And I sent them off. And then Mark called me and said, hey, how about we redo the movie book? <laughs> Well, why would I want to do that? Um, well, I I recall him mentioning it to me a number of years ago. I had not been familiar with it, um, and you don't have uh, a better answer than I do. So. Well, I think you know, I you know, Mark, uh, who's of course my boss, um, is is really I think kind of a a true blue movie buff in a lot of ways, um, and uh, I, I think it was just something that was, and it, of course, being a, a former evangelical, it certainly was of interest to him. I. Which leads me kind of to my next question, which is, did you end up doing some rewriting? I mean, was there something about in becoming Catholic? Obviously, the Catholic worldview involves kind of a, a deeply sacramental, incarnational perspective that 
uh, sometimes you don't see, like you're mentioning, especially from a fundamentalist perspective, but even from an evangelical perspective, a lot of times the approach to movies is, you know, how much swearing, you know, sex scenes, bad things are there that we, you know, you need to be warned about, which as you say, that's, it's good to know, important. Obviously we take morals very seriously, but oftentimes it doesn't delve. There isn't a delving into these deeper waters, so to speak. I mean, is that something that you worked on a little bit or reworked in the book or just you found a a kind of a deepening uh, of sorts? Yeah, all of the above. Um, You know what my initial reaction was, I don't really know if I want to go back there. I don't really know if I want to like kind of try to get (laughs) back up to speed. And and because, you know, I I got four kids now. I don't watch, you know, movies that would interest any adults anymore. Um, (laughs) um, You know, the fact that I had become Catholic was a big deal. And I realized that, you know, of my books, this was the only one that was published while I was an evangelical. And so that it'd be kind of nice to just have everything um, be under the, because it'd gone out of print at this point. I mean, it wasn't even available anymore. So I thought that would be kind of nice to, to resurrect that and have it be a Catholic book. Um, I finished my PhD, so I had some additional thoughts on certain arguments and, um, you know, the sacramental worldview that you mentioned that kind of comes along with being Catholic. They, there was definitely some material that I wanted to add. Um, there was also some corrections I wanted to make because um, we had a couple editorial fights with Moody toward the end, right before the original came out. And some stuff ended up on the cutting room floor that I really didn't think should have. And I, and I didn't think Ignatius would have any problem with it, and they didn't. Um, so, you know, what you end up with is there, there's an additional argument for the existence of God. Mm-hmm. I deal a little bit with the problem of evil, which I think the Catholic Church has a unique uh, view on that isn't really available um, mm-hmm. in the evangelical world. Um, we look at some apologetics for the historic church, like the like locating God's church and not just kind of generically arguing for the Bible, which is kind of the way the evangelical version went. Um, and then I got to add a whole extra chapter in the end, um, looking at one movie in particular and and kind of putting it through the analysis that I suggest in the book. So it, it's it's quite a bit more robust than the first one. There's more examples now. And I think that just overall, even the, the material that was there is now better. I, I think it was my my pastor who years ago talked about uh, the argument for the Catholic Church from cinema, which uh, <laughs> is, you know, part of that is every time you're going to have the dramatic church scene, you don't you don't have it in a Baptist church <laughs> or United yeah. Methodist church. Uh, you know, it's going to be in a, a Catholic church. Sometimes they're going to bring in stuff that confuses, you know, brings in you know, a lot of uh, different, you know, maybe um, some iconography into a, a very like Roman Catholic church that maybe confuses things. And of course, we know that there's going to be about 5,000 candles lit sure. with, with one woman in the church, one person in the church. And then, of course, the scene happens. So it's kind of, you know, you can kind of make fun of it. But there's something to that, right? I mean, there's the 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 imagery uh, and the kind of that visual power of Catholicism is something that has fascinated uh, a lot of, a lot of filmmakers think of Martin Scorsese as an obvious example, but um, even some filmmakers who aren't even quote unquote religious or Christian. Right. Yeah. I think about like uh, the exorcism of Emily Rose, you know, this is written by an evangelical brilliant movie uh, by the way, but it would Mm -hmm. be really difficult to write a movie like that, you know, with some mega church that meets in a mall down the road. Joel Olstein. Yeah. Yeah. The pastor comes out and, you know, Bermuda shorts and a t-shirt and flip flops and exercises demons like that. No no one's going to watch that. (laughs) Um, 
of course, the Hollywood tropes surrounding Catholicism aren't yeah. always accurate or, or beneficial to us. Um, but I, I do think that that is interesting, that when you have to have a really pious religious figure, you just pretty much have to make them Catholic. It's, it's very rare. I mean, I think like um, Contact had an evangelical that was real serious. But there's just not very many films that really try to show serious Christianity and don't make it Catholic. I mean, maybe it's just easier visually to establish the scene with a Catholic church and a priest with the collar and everything than it is with an evangelical wearing jeans. Um, but yeah, I think either way, it, it speaks to something that Hollywood sees in the church that it doesn't see other places. Right, right. Um, what... Uh... For you know, folks who let's say you know your average reader is somebody who watches a few films, or even I, you know, I, I think I should point out too, to to listeners here that if you're the kind of person like me who maybe ends up watching more in the last few years, I'm, I've been watching far more TV series, like extended series. Yeah. Um, your movie or your your book applies perfectly to that as well. I think, sure. in fact, in fact, maybe even better in the sense that what we have now with more and more of shows that are going three, four, five, six seasons with a kind of detail and expanded worldviews and so forth. Um, I think your book would really help, help, help folks with that kind of a thing. Um, do you, I forget, do you mention something like that in the book at all? I might've just made like a reference to it. I, I didn't want to get into that realm because then there's all new examples and everything else that you want to try to bring up. And the analysis does get, you know, a bit more deep, I think, right. which is part of the reason they're so great usually, right, is that, you know, every season, ha you know, there, there has to be a, a major story for the whole entire uh, show, oh, yeah. but then every season kind of has to have its own yeah. story structure, and then every episode has to have its own story structure, like every, every good story you tell, you're still going to be able to use this method, whether, you know, regardless of how long the movie is, or whether it's broken up into parts, or you know, whether it was in the theater or not, not none of that really matters to the point of the book. Um, right. But yeah, I, I think definitely as you go along, having those things in the back of your mind can help you understand what's going on. Um, and I always tell people like, you know, look, when I go to the movie theater, I, I'm not sitting there with a clipboard and a pen. Um, you know, I, I'm there with popcorn and a Coke, just like everybody else. I just want to have fun, be entertained. Um, but what's great is that if you can reflect later, yeah you're going to get more out of it. And I, I don't yeah. think that it's going to matter what the exact medium is. If, if it is telling a decent story, then this book is going to tell you what to do with it. Yeah. That's something you spend, um, especially in the first half of your book, you, you go into really fascinating detail about how stories are approached, the different kinds of stories that exist. And, and folks who might be into, you know, a lot of literature might recognize a lot of that, but in terms of just specifically filmmaking, it's, it's really fascinating. And I think it's a great, a great guide uh, to how that, how that happens. Um, what are, you know, we have a couple more minutes here. What do you think are some of the either mistakes that we as Catholics sometimes make in viewing films or things that we can think about better when it comes to viewing films? I think one of the hardest things, and I think this is just kind of a human thing. I don't know if it's specifically Catholic, but it's always difficult to see a film present something that you don't think is, is true or right as if it is and not have a real visceral reaction to that and tend to focus on it. Um, it's, it's sometimes difficult, I think, to put it in context. You know, how does this thing fit within the overall nature or, or you know, message of the movie and then evaluate it on those grounds? So I think I give some examples in the book, but especially when it comes to style elements, <clears throat> 
you know, there's going to be people that think there's never a good reason to say a bad word. There's never a good reason to have a steamy, you know, bedroom scene. Um, and, and I may be one of those people, uh, but there's a, there's a difference, I think, between what is good for me to, to watch, what, what's going to be an occasion of sin for me that I, that I don't want to be, um, versus that was just a bad element for the story itself. Right. So for example, I, I, I rarely would see Christians complain about nudity or something as long as it was to like heighten the evil of the scene. <laughs> it was something <laughs> a little weird, you know, it's like Schindler's List, nobody really complained, you know, that, okay, there's some, you know, bare breasts in, in Schindler's List. But the point of them is to show how humiliated these poor right. women are, right. you know. Right. And so because it's not titillating, because it's not, um, you know, just there to get the R rating, it, it tends to be accepted more. Yeah. Which I think in itself is kind of a weird view of of sexuality that you know we're we're okay with the human body as long as it's evil you know in an evil scene and used to to uh, heighten the evil. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then again, you know the 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 uh, the act of of sex is by nature uh, supposed to be private. So by sticking a camera in the room, you've already kind of violated that. So I, I go into some things in, in the in the book about that, but um, if something is serving the message of the movie. And if the message of the movie is true, you know, good or beautiful, um, then I, I think that we at least have to acknowledge that and, and not just say, well, there was this element, so it is a bad movie. I mean, that was one of the things that came out in the first book. Um, my editor literally told me I was not allowed to use the word good in any way other than moral. Well, that made it really difficult to talk about a lot of things. And yeah, that's, um, that's definitely different from, from a, from a Catholic approach. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So yeah. I, I think Catholics have a better job, do a better job of yeah. contextualizing the whole thing and saying, well, like, you know, father Stu, I mean, I, I haven't seen this yet, but almost everybody I talk to says, Oh my gosh, it's amazing. It's so incredibly powerful. There's a lot of F bombs, but it's so great. It's so incredibly powerful. Um, and, and to me, that's kind of the right balance. It's like, okay. and there's been and there's been a little bit of controversy, and uh, I guess we'll maybe call it Catholic uh, social media, Catholic Twitterverse, or whatever it is, where I saw some people upset or angry about that aspect. I have not seen the movie, um, but people who I tend to trust, and we ran a very positive review of it, um, you know, have said, "Hey, it's it's there because it's part of that world that he came from." I mean, he came from a you know, kind of a really hard nosed, gritty background. And it, it shows that, um, you know, I, when you were talking about that, I was thinking back one seminal moment for me in terms of, I think moving towards a Catholic worldview before I became Catholic is when I saw the movie, the English patient. Mm -hmm. And if you remember that, that movie, a lot of evangelicals uh, reviewers freaked out over that movie because they said it is somehow, glamorize this affair between these these two characters and i so i'm really horrible about mem remembering you know movies as far as uh their you know the plots and characters and stuff but Me too, actually. I, remember <laughs> I remember watching the movie and at the end i thought I, I don't get these i remember reading several critical reviews of it saw the movie i thought they they seem to have missed the fact that after these characters do have an adulterous affair that their lives go completely haywire and it ends up becoming a, tra a tragedy, which really does flow from this decision they make to have this affair. There's obviously more to the movie than that, but I, th I thought the movie had a really deep moral core and that the fact that they, they played up the movie really played up kind of the, 
the romance essential element of the, the adulterous affair was really not a way of glamorizing, but showing the false appeal of it, right? It was completely opposed, it, completely opposite of what I saw some reviewers saying. And I, I, uh, I, to me that, you know, my personal opinion, I think that kind of shows a difference of, of how you view, view a mov movie like that. Yeah. And that, that I think is one of those kind of places where if, if you don't, understand how classical story structure that's used in films works. If you don't know the difference between comedy and tragedy in the classical sense, like, like you mentioned, um, then yeah, if, if you show a really beautiful affair and then the the, because of that affair, the lives of the characters are destroyed. Well, then the message would, is the same as if they just hadn't had the affair in the first place and went back to their spouses. But now it's a lot more powerful, you know, yeah. that you're, you're almost getting to experience like, oh, yeah, I've thought of having an affair and oh, look at how wonderful it is. And then you see their lives destroyed. You know, um, if they had just exploded spontaneously the second they decided to sleep together, that, that wouldn't really, <laughs> that yeah, wouldn't no, I really think carry the same power. To me, that was the power of that movie was that it shows how just it's almost like you start pulling that thread out of that garment and it takes time. But eventually the whole thing falls apart. Yeah. Um, and it and rather than just being kind of a simple morality play, so to speak, it, it really shows a um, the complexity of the universe, but how there is a true order to the universe and that these things are built into creation, that things that are right and wrong. But instead of hitting you over the head with it, with the, with the, you know, and this is why I think we would agree that a lot of Christian filmmaking has really been you know, over the, over the decades, it's gotten much better in recent decades, but a lot of Christian films, you know, suffer from kind of that moralizing approach rather than a storytelling approach. Right. Yeah. And they, they tend toward the propaganda side of things where they just kind of have to lay it out there and spoon feed it to you. And, you know, to some degree, that's only really going to work with the people that are already sold on your message. Um, a, a good message is, is going to be shown. It's not going to be told. And I, I think that's been a real hard one for, for especially because, you know, most of the Christians making the kinds of movies that we're talking about right now, Christian movies are evangelical. You know, they're used to very clear statements. They're used to texts. They're not used to images. Right. So all of these things that go into making a great movie playing by a movie's rules, uh, evangelicals just don't have a lot of experience with. You know, they're used to everything's got to be. In, you know, interior, intellectual, everything's got to be word-based, everything has to be text-based, um, and that's not the way movie, good movies communicate, but it yeah. seems like they're just really uncomfortable doing anything besides that. Yeah. The, the book is The Message Behind the Movie, um, and the author is Douglas Beaumont, and the subtitle here is Engaging Film Without Disengaging Faith. I think it's a great book. Um, and I wrote the forward. You know, actually, it's funny when you mentioned that at the beginning. I totally spaced that I wrote the forward. Oh. <laughs> um, I've been, <laughs> um, but I, uh, you know, it really is. I, I really like how you brought again how you brought together these aspects of evangelization, apologetics, catechesis. My my words, um, and in a kind of unique way. And I think too, it's. And I say this in my in the forward that I wrote that I really think it's a great book for younger folks who are on their screens a lot or maybe watch a lot of TV shows, movies and so forth. It'll get them to think about story in a, in a really important way, in a good way that I think will really help their faith. Um, so, Douglas, any final thoughts, anything you'd like to share, you know, what you hope people will get out of the book or any other things you'd like to uh, say about it? 
Yeah, I just think you know it, it is a book for the for the everyman. It's it's not some right. like highbrow art piece <laughs> that's going <laughs> to require a college degree to read. Now, th- these are the sorts of things that that are known and have been known for centuries, and um, I think it's going to increase your enjoyment of film if if nothing else. It's it's not going to turn it into an academic exercise where you know you're you're sitting there you know taking notes through the film and and that sort of thing. Like for me, this has made it more enjoyable to go to movies and it's made it more enjoyable to interact with people that I'm trying to be a witness to. So, excellent. Thanks Douglas for being with us today. Appreciate it. Yeah. Good. Having, uh, good being on. <laughs> this podcast has been brought to you by Ignatius press. We encourage you to check out our books and videos at your local Catholic bookstore or wherever else books and videos are sold. You can also sign up to receive special discounts on books and videos at Ignatius We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Please like the podcast on the website or app from which you listen to it. And please tell your friends about it. I'm Mark Brumley, and on behalf of everyone at Ignatius Press, thanks for listening.